This sermon was recorded at Christ Church Mission, a congregation that seeks to be a people fully alive in God's kingdom. This is a reading from the book of John. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Welcome to Christ Church. My name's Amanda. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, why don't we start with prayer? God, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for this season of Lent, and Lord, whatever um, you're doing in each of us during this season, I pray that you would help us um, to hear what you have for us today, and we pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, we are in the season of Lent, and this is a season that allows us to engage in the story of Jesus, particularly leading up to the cross. And in this particular season of Lent, we're doing something a little bit different where we're really zeroing in on those last words of Jesus from the cross um, in his last hours of life. And so last week, we talked about um, the two criminals on the cross and when Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise, and today I want to talk about woman, here is your son, and then when Jesus says to the disciple, here is your mother. And so I want to explore kind of the fulfillment of prophecy that happens in these first few verses, and then I want to talk about Mary's experience. Um, I want to talk about the community that Jesus uh, initiates here, and then what all of this means for us. So... Let's picture the scene. Um, it begins with Jesus having been crucified. Now, normally a criminal would be led to their death naked through the streets, but it seems, the text seems to indicate that Jesus may have been sparsely clothed here. So he's crucified and then immediately the soldiers who are there begin to divide his garments among themselves. And there's one garment that John seems particularly interested in and it's the seamless garment, and it's just basically Jesus's undergarment. And the fact that John highlights this garment does not mean that it's luxurious or fancy or even nice. It's just a standard issue undergarment. But some people have speculated that its seamlessness points to the unity of the church or, um, or maybe the unity of God's plan of salvation throughout throughout history, ending and, and going beyond the cross, woven together by grace and truth. And all of that is lovely, and to all of that I say maybe. It could possibly be true. <laughs> um, and you know, people have built entire careers on allegory, on exploring different allegories throughout scripture, and I think these things are important. These little treasures, these gems that we find in scripture are incredibly important. They keep us returning to the text, but, that is not what is of utmost important here. For John, 
like many other aspects of the crucifixion, it's the fact that this passage echoes Psalm 22, which we actually read today. Psalm 22, verse 18 says, they divided my clothes among themselves and cast lots for my garments. So it's like a play-by-play of what happens here, except the fact that Psalm 22 was written a thousand years before. Um, And it's the first of four Old Testament passages that that are fulfilled in Jesus' crucifixion. The reason that this echo back to this thing that was written a thousand years before is that it reveals down to the detail even of Jesus' seemingly unimportant undergarment (laughs) that this was the will of the Father that the crucifixion and all the events that led up to it were actually the will of the Father. So it's not just a story about human cruelty and sin and injustice, though it is about that. Underneath it all, God is at work to complete a mission. And so all these little details that actually mattered that God foresaw were part of his mission. And so even though the soldiers seemed less concerned with tearing Jesus's body than tearing his undergarment, What people intended for evil, God intended for good. It reminds me of the story of Joseph and his brothers who rejected him and left him for dead. And then later, partially because of that event, he becomes equal in power only to Pharaoh. And what does Joseph say to his brothers when they discover his true identity? He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And then he was kind to them, the text tells us. And so in the same way, Every detail of the crucifixion was intended toward Jesus' kingship and God's good plans and purposes. And then another thing to look at is that Psalm 22 is a psalm of David. David was obviously a sinful king, but he was also a suffering king. And you might remember a few verses before what we read today, the plaque that Pilate places above Jesus' head, and it says, unironically, this is the king of the Jews, or the king of the Jews. So Jesus, what he's doing here is he's replicating a pattern. He's also fulfilling a pattern of the greatest king in Israel's history. It's fulfilled right here in Jesus. He's actually the center of every pattern that was established by God. All right, so we've looked at this prophecy that's fulfilled. And now let's really zero in on Mary and her experience. If we could just, for a moment, go back to Christmas... I know it's Lent, (laughs) but remember the story of Simeon. I'll actually share a little bit of it with you. So this is Luke chapter two, and it says, there's a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw the Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when Jesus' parents brought Jesus to him for him with the custom law, for what the custom law required, Simeon took him into his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes, I guess he dropped the baby at that point, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And it's at that point that Mary and Joseph marvel at what was said about Jesus, and then Simeon blesses them, and he says to Mary, his mother, this child is destined, and everything's great up until this point, and then it turns, destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel 
and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of your of hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So it moves from joyful to ominous. And so returning to today's passage, after the whole debacle over the undergarment, the scene shifts and the cross that was maybe a little bit in the background has now moved to the foreground, surrounded <clears throat> closely and bravely by people who love Jesus, um, people who followed Jesus and were intimately connected to him, primarily women who knew and loved him. And you know, we could say a lot about the role of women in Jesus's life and ministry. Don't let that go unnoticed. And I'm not saying that just because I am a woman, though maybe a little bit. Um, <laughs> but Mary, Mary was the God-bearer. The women at the tomb, Mary Magdalene, um, the first missionary to the Samaritans was a woman, the woman who anointed Jesus' feet, and there's many others. But among the women on this particular terrible day, right there at the cross, were Mary, his mother, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Salome, and Mary Magdalene. You could also do a whole teaching on people named Mary in Jesus's life, but we won't do that today. Um, we also know that John was there, the beloved disciple. And so let's just consider the experience of Mother Mary. It was foretold to her, as we just looked at a few moments ago by Simeon, that her son had a great destiny, um, that he would cause the hearts of many to be revealed. And I think back on those two criminals that hung from the cross that we explored last week. Two criminals who were convicted basically of the same crime and yet they had two very different postures toward Jesus. Their hearts were in very different places. But you can't ignore that last part where it says a sword will pierce your own soul also. So for Mary, you know, the absolute greatest privilege to bear the Son of God, to raise the Son of God, to know him perhaps more intimately than any other human being, was also the greatest sorrow. She witnessed the world, you can just picture it, as she stood there before the cross, rejecting the child of her womb, and she had witnessed it even up until that point, but much more now. <clears throat> she witnessed her son experiencing humiliation and pain. I mean, if you have had a child, you know that even the most selfish and sinful among us want great things for our kids, right? We want them to have good lives, and even if it means, you know, we're at stake, even if it means we give up our own lives for their sake. Most of us have had yet to face Mary's sorrow, but to some extent, we can relate to the helplessness or, or the feeling of watching a loved one suffer in some way that we can't do anything about. It is a helpless an agonizing feeling, and that's what Mary was going through here. You know, you could almost say Jesus was the man of sorrows and Mary was the woman of sorrows in the way that she had to witness her son's suffering. And so when it says Mary's soul was pierced by a sword, this is what Simeon was talking about. Her soul was pierced in this moment. And I think this can be true for all of us, you know, as followers of Jesus. It is the greatest privilege, and yet it comes with it a great deal of pain at times, a great deal of sorrow. And so now let's talk about community. I want you to picture for a moment Jesus hanging from the cross. Do the best you can to imagine what he was experiencing in that moment as he looked down and saw his mother 
the disciple, other people who loved him, people who did not love him, and all that he was going through. Just take a moment to consider that. And it was from this place that Jesus had the forethought (laughs) to give practical advice to his mother and to the disciple. And the text tells us when Jesus saw his mother there, and I think that's not something to be overlooked, the fact that Jesus saw his mother. I mean, here he is in agony, but also bearing the weight of the sin of humanity, and yet he sees his mother. He sees his mother, and he sees the disciple. And I think we can speculate that even in the midst of all that Jesus has done, the fact that you know, he created the universe, the fact that he died for the sins of humanity and was resurrected from the dead, that he still sees us and he knows in all the ways that we're suffering and everything that we're carrying, he actually sees us and he knows us and he cares for us. And so he looks down and he sees his mother and he sees the beloved disciple. That's what John refers to himself as, the <laughs> beloved disciple. It's so precious, isn't it? Um, <laughs> He looks down and he sees them, and he even understands that. (laughs) And he says, woman, here is your son. And then he looks to the disciple and he says, here is your mother. And from that time on, it tells us that John took Mary into his home. I mean, maybe immediately he took her into his home, took her with him. And Jesus, totally human and perfectly God in this moment, first of all, he embodies what it means to fulfill the fifth commandment to honor your your mother in this case. We can speculate that Joseph had probably died because he wasn't there, but this is like the ultimate expression of honoring one's mother. And then second, personal suffering and brokenness, as we can see here, does not limit God's ability to care. And this is already um, saying something about the kind kind of community that Jesus is speaking into being, that he's speaking into creation right there from the cross, that God's glory is being most fully revealed in the love and care he expresses in his suffering and in his death. And then for us, what that means is that personal suffering doesn't limit us or limit our ability to care well. And I don't mean pretending that we're not suffering and caring out of that, but caring from a place of of vulnerability and brokenness. Henry Nouwen who wrote a book called um, The Wounded Healer. Sorry, it took me a second. He even, he would say this is a prerequisite. He says, our service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by suffering. And so this is the kind of community as Christians that we're a part of, this wounded and broken and yet healing community. All the while, up until this point, Jesus had been building He'd been building the community or forming the community with his disciples, but then he completes it here, apart from Pentecost, with this, with John and with Mary, um, issuing this new kind of family, calling on John to care for Mary as if she was his mother and vice versa. And Leslie Newbigin says, this new community is now seen to be a new family, a new kind of family. If you've come from a messy or broken family, which many of us have, that's really encouraging. A family you don't have to put up thick boundaries around, you know? And so when it comes, you know, when it comes to family, whether it's a broken family or this kind of family, um, there's not much we can do to get rid of these people in our lives, right? Like even if we're estranged from them, they're always going to be our family. But this is a family 
that's held together by faith in Christ forever and ultimately by the Holy Spirit. And so Mary becomes John's mother. John becomes Mary's son. And in fact, similar language was used in betrothal. Behold your wife, behold your husband. And so it's signaling a change in the relationship, a deepening in the relationship, even a transformation in this new community that Jesus is issuing forth from the cross. We are to care for one another as if we are family. Um, it's not insignificant that the early church championed care for the sick when other people didn't. This was not something that was done at the time, caring for strangers as if they were family or even that Christians started hospitals. This was started at the cross by Jesus. And so this community is the fruit of Jesus's death. It's birthed from Jesus giving himself. And so we can, we can see that the starting point of this community is that it's shaped by self-giving. It's, it's a community shaped by love that will be completed at Pentecost with the Holy Spirit. And so let's just look back a little bit in just a moment. We started by talking about prophecy fulfilled, by you know looking back on history, um, God's people, the mistakes, the death, the tragedies, the sins that we've committed, and how God has used all those things for his, his purpose and his plan, and, and even um, considered them part of his plan all along, his purpose and his plan for good. And if that's true, then might that be true for us as well? Could it be that you know, beneath it all, within even the most horrific parts of our lives, that God is at work to complete a mission. You know, just consider those things right now that you might be going through, those really difficult things in your life. Could it be that God is at work to complete a mission through those things? And then think back on Mary. Her soul was pierced. Her sorrow, though, doesn't end with sorrow. Otherwise, as Paul says, we are most to be pitied. If there's no resurrection from the dead, we're most to be pitied. But Mary's sorrow is not punctuated with a period or an exclamation mark, but maybe something softer like a comma. Mary's sorrow doesn't end gazing on her dying son or her dead son on the cross, but it ends with the electrifying resurrection of Jesus from the dead, confirming this new creation, this new family that we're part of. And so meanwhile, in this right now but not yet kingdom that we're a part of, we're making ready for the community that's coming, for this family that's coming of broken healers healing each other. And so just consider for a moment that we're surrounded right now by mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, sons, and daughters. And how might the Lord be calling us to care or receive even more than we have been? And I want to just say, I think you all do it really well. I think about a woman I know from our church who um, is a widow and recently also lost her husband, and yet she cares for this elderly widow. She picks her up, and if she wants pancakes, she takes her to IHOP. If she wants moons over my hammy, she takes her to Denny's, you know. Um, and maybe she doesn't always feel like spending hours with this woman, but you would never know. She doesn't show it. And with that, I see this new community that Jesus 
declared from the cross. And I see it when I hear stories of Christ Church Missions, children's ministry volunteers, or um, involvement in Russian, or when I hear about parishioners who are so weak with cancer that they can't get out of their homes and yet they want to serve, and so they call people and encourage them and pray for them. Um, they send them cards. I'm blown away by all those little acts of kindness from fellow suffering people, and I think we see in that the community that Jesus created from the cross. These are glimpses into um, a new community that is a family, a family eventually without brokenness, without conflict or shame or the need to set up boundaries. Um, and so by caring in the way that Jesus called from the cross, though it's a shadow of something much greater, we point the world to a community and to a family shaped by love. So let's pray. God, we thank you um, Thank you that from the cross you see us, even from a place of suffering you see us, from the grand work that you have begun and that are doing now and will complete in the future that you still see us and you love us. And thank you that you've called forth a community that's um, shaped by brokenness but also healing. And so Lord, I pray that you would continue to do your work in us that you've begun at the beginning of this Lent that you would draw us closer to you. And we pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.